Are you stuck in an angry and violent relationship? Or are you the person that is challenged with that? Either way, this video today is going to give you some helpful insights to understand the cycle and also how to start to break it. Hi, my name is Yvette Rose, author and founder of Metaphysical Anatomy, which is a book of 679 medical ailments where we all share, where I wrote down, we all share collectively ailments and also the same emotional traumas and triggers behind that globally. And guys, welcome to today's talk, which is part of the Root Causes of Anger series. And today I'm going to talk about different scenarios that can cause a person to become violent. Because violence does not just have one main cause. I mean, well, it kind of does, but, you know, which is trauma in this case that's associated with feeling unsafe. However, it's also how a person is treated in the moment of needing safety that drastically affects how they react the next time when they feel unsafe. Now, what I'm saying is that ultimately feeling unsafe or powerless, you know, it depends, you know, on the word that you resonate with the best here is normally the main root cause. However, how you cope during moments of feeling unsafe and powerless, you know, it sets these two apart. And for whatever reason now, whether it is that you become violent in your life or not. So, if you know someone who is very violent, then this talk might be very helpful for you. Or if you are the one that's challenged with violent outbursts, then you might find some key insights here today that, you know, that can help you to understand certain motivators that could be driving these outbursts. So either way, awareness of a problem is a problem half solved. And the other half is then finding tools and strategies to resolve these old wounds behind this type of behavior. Now I'm going to discuss first the addiction part of violence in relationships before jumping into possible root causes or, or acts of violence. Now when I refer to an addiction, I'm referring to the emotional addiction here in this case. So when you hear the word addiction, it's normal to think, ah, okay, you know, it must be a substance addiction. Addictions are formed when we make a perceived positive association with something that is actually destructive to our emotional and mental and physical well-being. Now, for some type of physical emotional reward. And in the case of violence now, the addiction can be, for example, with the adrenaline rush of lashing out and also the emotional reward of establishing psychological and physical safety establishing dominance and also control, which indirectly would lead to a person to feel safe again. So now that you have this bit of pieces of background information, let's explore different scenarios that could be underlying causes of a person becoming violent. So scenario one, let's look at jealousy and perhaps the need to dominate, lack of emotional connection, so when you look at this, now we're looking at a person who had an upbringing in their childhood where there was 
not a lot of physical touch. There was not a lot of emotional and physical connection. There was a lot of lack of eye contact. And if eye contact was made, it could have been made in a very aggressive and demeaning and threatening way. And also now, these aspects are crucial to be developed in a healthy way over time because it helps the limbic system, the emotional brain to develop in a healthy way. So the more stimulation the limbic system can have with these, with these safe interactions, the more the person will be open to communicate, talk, touch, hug, and have eye contact, and also communicate in a very calm way. So any kind of abuse that took place in that person's life had a huge impact on the development of the hippocampus. So what happens is that the more understimulated the hippocampus is, the more dominant the primitive part of the body is going to be, which is the instinctive responses. So basically, if they were brought up in an unsafe environment, it means that their instinctive responses will be a lot more in control rather than their emotional brain. Because normally our emotional brain, along with the frontal cortex, are more in control of our day-to-day -day activities, how we act and react. But in this case, the reptilian mind, the instinctive responses are going to dominate. And that's also where we have the fight or flight instinctive response. So if they were exposed to a lot of aggression, a lot of violence, or they were physically abused, Look at which part of the brain is being triggered the most. The instinctive responses. Because physical abuse makes you feel unsafe. You, there's a physical attack to the body. You feel threatened. So you react. In this case, their reaction could have been the opposite. It could have been to hide, to freeze, to feel numb. And now as they mature, when they are in that state where anything is said or done, that triggers the subconscious memory of feeling unsafe, feeling threatened, especially feeling threatened, they're going to react. And they're going to overcompensate for what they couldn't compensate for as a child. So a very good example is now someone that becomes violent. That's a very, very good example where they overcompensate. So there's also another scenario with that when you look at parts where this person also feel that I have to fight for what I want. I have to fight for my truth. I have to fight to be understood. I have to fight for respect because that is what happened in their childhood. And this childlike coping mechanisms are now being carried over into their adult life. And so what you have is a cognitive distortion of where they psychologically might consciously mature and understand that's not how I should behave. But the coping mechanisms and the subconscious memories haven't healed and transformed with where the cognitive mind, the frontal cortex, has now developed to. So you have a complete defragmented sense of self within this person, right? Consciously, they know they shouldn't do that. But when push comes to shove, they do do that because the primitive actions and reactions in them and the coping mechanisms that are stored 
is much more dominant because let's be honest, we know that the subconscious mind is in control. So let's also have a look at scenario two. Maybe perhaps there were moments and times where violence and anger was used as a way to express because communication was not practiced or communication was expressed through violence. Meaning if their partner, oh sorry, if they, if they mom or dad in their childhood communicated to them to express a boundary or to correct them or to do something that would really make a point, if they really wanted to carry over a point and they used physical violence or they beat them up or smacked them when they delivered that message, look what's happening. It clicks in and goes, ah, that's how I communicate. That's how I get my point across. So if I feel unheard, if I feel disrespected, I need to physically carry over that message. So violence can also be a person's way of communicating. It's not right. But now here we're just explaining and exploring certain aspects as to how they communicate. So now we're looking at trauma and wounds associated with being communicated to and also communicating themselves. So you see, anger is the symptom. The root cause is a lot of pain and wounds behind being communicated to. Now, here also, violence and anger was also in this case used, right? It's used to communicate. It's used to gain control of a situation that caused the person to feel out of control, which is then also driven by their fear of losing control of a person or situation. So when they're talking to someone, when they talk to someone and they start to feel I'm losing control of the situation, the person's not hearing me, they're misinterpreting everything that I'm saying, and they are not in control of the conversation anymore. Their way of gaining control again is to act violently. It's to intimidate, right? So the moment that they feel powerless in a conversation, the moment they feel shamed or stupid or embarrassed, there's most likely going to be a very volatile reaction. And so violence can also be used to gain control of a situation, meaning to have the upper hand of it, to be able to control it, to dictate it, to steer it in the direction that they want it to go. And in most cases, deep, deep down, it's to avoid being and feeling misunderstood, which in the past made them feel shame. And now I have also already talked about shame and anger. And if you haven't seen that video series, I invite you to please have a look at that. So let's have a look at scenario three. You want to look at what made them feel or what made me feel safe in the past. Caused me to feel unsafe. Caused me to feel powerless and to lose control. Let me explain because listen, guys, listen, this is super important. Let me explain because this example will now bring me to the next part of this discussion as well, which is associations. When I say what made me feel, you know, safe actually made me feel unsafe. When you look at this person's childhood, a parent, you know, a parent is meant to make a child feel safe, right? Their source of protection is their source of safety. It's their source of love or at least supposed to be. However, 
If this parent was violent, then this scenario destroys the child's concept of what is safe and what is not. Now here's what happens. When a child needs to feel safe or comfort, and that need, whether it was expressed verbally or physically or not even expressed at all, it was just a desire. Just having that desire, like I said, it's enough. And for that desire now then to be met with an act of violence anchors in a negative and toxic association with safety and comfort. Listen, it's very important. Because as this child now matures, their subconscious mind will remember this association. And when they find themselves where they need to feel safety and comfort, and then they react in the form of violence to protect themselves from the potential violent attack. And then there is why and how an association can be formed. So when you feel a need for safety, your subconscious mind will be looking or searching for older memories that were formed when you needed to feel safe. And your subconscious mind will then remember the act of violence against you, which then creates a biochemical reaction in your body, preparing you for an actual attack, which then heightens your fight or flight instinctive response. And it is then in that moment, whether you either fight or run. Now, in most cases, you revert to the fight instinct and you react in an act of violence to attack someone or a certain situation with course with the intention to protect yourself. However, what you're actually doing is trying to protect the inner wounded child from being hurt again, feeling the pain, feeling powerless, feeling shame, feeling humiliated, feeling misunderstood. Now, another approach to this here is that I'm still, keep in mind guys, I'm still in the addictions part, still there. When you look at the autonomic nervous system, which is part of the body that connects your physical body parts in the brain, that regulates your instinctive responses, is programmed and overly stimulated with unprocessed nervous energy. Now, in acts of violence, this nervous energy is released, bringing calm and relief from built-up nervousness, which can take the form of symptoms such as anxiety, depression, you know, ADD, OCD, and many other types of behaviors associated with short-tempered reactions. Now, that's a lot, guys. Stay with me. You're doing great. Let's have a look at scenario five. So we want to be looking at here at triggers of violence that normally starts with, say, humiliation, feeling powerless, loss of control, and also deep-seated feelings of injustice. Now, when you had a traumatic childhood, your life experiences form and shape negative thoughts in your mind. And these negative thoughts can become so dominant that you find yourself in a daily inner violent battle against these negative thoughts. And your self-esteem has been deeply wounded. And there's a part of you that is always subconsciously fighting to protect yourself from these vulnerable emotional memories and wounds. Now, when we look at how the neural pathways work and the amount of memories that we're constantly, I think it's all about 90,000 constant thoughts and processes that's going through our minds on a daily basis. And I think at least 60% of those thoughts and memories are parts that's coming in from the past. So if you're constantly thinking subconsciously or subconsciously, these memories are being regurgitated all over again, over again, over again, every single day, 
It's constantly reinforcing the feeling of I'm powerless, I'm unsafe, I'm vulnerable, I feel shame, I feel humiliated. Can you imagine these thoughts constantly now looping in your mind? What is it going to do? Over time, it's going to make it stronger, stronger and stronger and stronger. So here, I would love for you to have a look at how to heal a negative thought that's here on my YouTube channel at eventvideos.com or you can go to guidedhealingsession.com and go through the healing session. Everything is absolutely for free, guys. So if you feel that you're stuck in that loop, which you most likely are, if you're struggling with constant waves of anger that you can't necessarily find any evidence in your environment that could have provoked that, that's thoughts that are stuck on a loop. And guys, it's time to break the cycle and you can do it. So awareness of a problem is a problem to have solved. The other half is the tools and I just gave you two and there's so many more tools in our matmembers.com site absolutely for free. A lot of free online healing courses. Dive in, go for it and start your healing journey. Now guys, let's also have a look at here another scenario that we have. Now, here's sometimes what can happen as well is when we look at anger and the addiction of that, sometimes a person can be stuck in a fight or flight state and their need for perceived safety is so strong that they can and normally will by any means to secure their state of physical and psychological safety in a way that they normally know how to establish it is through violence and fighting for it. So even though their immediate circumstances that triggered them it's very small compared to how they react, you see. And the reason why they react so volatile is because of their temper. And their temper is short because they've reached their capacity to suppress their fear of losing control and feeling powerless. And as we said earlier, thought patterns, repetitive thought patterns contribute also to violence. Now, another scenario here is that violence also comes from feeling trapped and emotionally suffocated by hostile people and circumstances as well. Now, here as well, maybe you express your boundaries and they were never respected. And you have to physically assert your boundaries. It's almost like you had to dominate your boundaries onto people because you felt so powerless to people listening to you, feeling so unheard, feeling so invisible. And this now unfortunately becomes a pattern and a violent way of asserting boundaries, you know, claim control and also asserting dominance becomes acts of misdirected anger. And then innocent people suffer in the process because of that pattern that has now been set in so strongly that you have suppressed your capacity to verbally express your limitations and boundaries and instead now physically showing it. Because what's happening is that the memory, the physical memory in your muscles, in your cellular muscles, are also now in sync with these emotions. So when you feel the emotions, there's already almost an automatic reaction to physically react without you even consciously being aware of it. So you see how these patterns, when they're repeated again and again and again, starts to become anchored in to the emotional body. Now, another scenario that we have here is that what we fear 
we try to control the most. Normally, when you look at anger and violence, there's a deep underlying fear of being and feeling completely powerless, which also goes hand in hand with fear of being overpowered, fear of being dominated. Now, instead of becoming submissive towards people who would make you feel powerless, you go into the opposite direction and you become violent to to physically assert your dominance and your position to claim control, which allows you to avoid circumstances and people that make you feel powerless. So my biggest question here for you, if you are the one that's struggling with violence and anger, my biggest question for you today is what would you have to emotionally feel if you didn't have the capacity to physically lash out or react? The answer to that question is going to be the start of your biggest and most liberating healing journey. So guys, thank you for joining me here today. And until next time, be the light that you are. Hi guys, thank you for joining me and remember to grab your copy of Metaphysical Anatomy on Amazon 679 Medical Elements and I also wrote about the psychosomatic root causes of that and I'm spoiling it because I even added key points for you to start looking at important questions that you can ask yourself to start improving your quality of life and also remember to catch me on Instagram Yvette Rose 1 with the digit 1 and Metaphysical Anatomy on our Facebook fan page. Bye guys!